Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, it's good to be here together. Uh, let me tell you about a few things that, um, well, the next, the next few weeks, let me tell you about that. Actually, before I do, yes, kids are on the, on the money. Um, kids, if you'd like to, I think you're already ahead of me. There you go. Done. I was going to say there's some uh, colouring in stuff. In your bulletins, you will see a bit of a Joshua intro reading plan type thing. And I don't read it all through now, but I want to encourage you to stick it on the fridge, put it in your Bible, whatever you need to do. Um, there's a bit of a... Uh, I've, I've, well, I've got a map there. You might, like me, you've got to take your glasses off to have a look at it. Um, it's pretty small, but you'll get the idea. Hopefully that's helpful if you're a visual person. I am. Um, then, then I've given you some other information on that side. But on this side, the reading plan side, uh, I'd love it if you can keep up reading through our new series, Joshua, and the, the, the book... As we, um, as we preach, as we think about on the way through. So uh, the reading for May 1st next week is Joshua 1 and 2, and then it goes through. If you see the reading for June 5th, however, um, chapters 13 to 24. Wow, that's a lot. That's a big reading, isn't it? So, but if you look at Joshua 13 to 24, you'll find that it's pretty easy reading. In fact, what it is, it's just a census of here are the people who have crossed into the promised land, because that's what Joshua's really all about, is the people have, have gone through the, um, uh, out of the Exodus, they've crossed the River Jordan and into the land that the, the, uh, God has promised them. And so 13 to 24 is an account of the peoples and the tribes who crossed the Jordan. So it's a, you read it a bit like that. And it's okay to sort of skim over it a little bit and then come back to key bits. That's okay. So don't be frightened about those that big reading for the 5th of June. Keep that. Uh, don't read it all through now, of course, but uh, keep it on you. That'd be good. Right. Now, uh, today, folks, we're going to be um, doing things a little bit differently, I suppose. We're not looking at one particular passage although we will land on John 5. So if you wanted to have your Bible open there, that would be a good spot to have it open. We won't spend a lot of time there. What I'd like to do, I'd like to get us thinking about, as you can see uh, on, our, uh, on the screen here, about identity and the Anzac spirit. Just a one-off, uh, a few thoughts that I've had during the week. Hopefully not, they're not rambling. Um, I'll try to give a bit of a structure up here and you might want to write some notes down. There's a, a, a gap blank page in your outline that you can write a few things down. But I want to think about um, our identity as, as Christians, as Australians, but also where does Anzac Day fit into that? And then most importantly, how does, how does um, uh, Jesus speak into that? So that's where we're heading. Uh, let's pray. I, I think I'm going to need God's help and um, you probably will too listening to me. So let's pray. Father, we do pray that, um, uh, that you speak to us today by your word and you help us to think deeply about our culture, uh, what it means for us and our, as our identity as Christians and followers of Jesus and Lord um, for as Australians as well on this particular significant weekend in our, um, in our calendar. So Lord we, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to do this. Uh, help us, help us to concentrate, help me to be clear and we thank you for today in Jesus name. Amen. At my high school, uh, I had to, well, everyone actually, had to sign up on Monday afternoons for either cadets or library. Those are the two options we had. You had to do it, cadets or library. So it was either monotonous marching 
or it was monotonous putting books away. Either way, it was pretty boring. In fact, not quite true. I did enjoy it. Um, and I, I tell you why, because I joined up to the cadet band. Um, the cadet band was cool in those days, just in case you're thinking otherwise. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I played the trumpet for the first little while. For the first, I played the trumpet um, concert bands and things in those days. Uh, and then um, I got the chance to play the big bass drum. The big bass drum is huge. It's it's a you know it's, oh, that sticks out for me. You got this, you strap it on your shoulders, and you got to wear this cool leopard skin. And so I was the sort of guy who was strong enough to wear it and bash in time. Um, I looked really hard for a photo. It would have been so cool. I do have this photo in my mind with a leopard skin and banging away. It's really unreal. But I couldn't find the photo. Anyway, I might keep looking because it's worth putting on Facebook or something. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, probably the greatest privilege of being the cadet band, though, was every year we got to march in the Anzac Day marches in the city through Martin Place and all that sort of thing. Uh, it was a great privilege and a bit of a power trip for me, of course, because I was wearing the bass drum, I was keeping everyone in beat. And so everyone around us, our band, had to march to my beat. If I wanted to go fast, we went fast. Slow, went slow. Michael, as a 16-year-old, that was pretty cool. Um, Anzac Day was popular back then, but it's got nothing on today. Tomorrow, across the country, hundreds of thousands of people will take part and watch Anzac Day services, and many of them will be young. Anzac Day is more popular and better attended now than ever. So today, I want to have a crack at understanding why. That's all. I want to share some thoughts. Hopefully, they'll be not muddled. Uh, I want to have a, have a crack at understanding what's the attraction of Anzac Day and I want us to see, too, how Jesus speaks into that. Some things are obvious and some things well, maybe not. Here's where we'll start. I think the key question, when we think about Anzac Day and uh, understanding why the attraction, I think the key question is a question of identity. Who am I? For Australians on Anzac Day, this is the question, and I think especially so for young people. Who am I? Our answer to that question, defines us. And it's only a search that you can do as an individual. And in our postmodern world, where the answer will be defined by my own convictions, as uh, one author described this cultural modern truth, he said, within the shared value of diversity, every identity is welcome. I'll say it again. Within the shared value of, of diversity, you know, every identity is welcome. So this openness to all types of identities actually has lots of pluses. Let me run through a few for you. Uh, people can talk about their personal experiences and struggles in ways they couldn't previously. It has allowed those who experience, say, gender dysphoria or who are same-sex attracted who suffer depression or who have experienced abuse of all kinds uh, to own their story, uh, to not be shamed for doing so and to receive love and consideration and understanding and care that all people deserve and need. But this approach or this focus on myself and my identity, my convictions, 
also leaves many, many Australians craving for the very thing that it promises, belonging. We're actually achieving the opposite to what we'd like to achieve. If the only shared value which unites our society is diversity, right, then we really don't have much in common to unite around. Our sense of unity, our sense of community, as, uh, they, they suffer, as does our sense of identity. We're left, if this image helps, and I think it does, we're left sort of swimming in the ocean, big ocean, in search of reliable bearings for who we are. You see? That's why, this is why, connection to a shared story, like Anzac Day, a shared, a shared history, which is greater than ourselves, is very appealing. It gives us something to cling to, which doesn't change with time or with experience. It's that history we can share together. And this is even more so when that history is tied up with values which we are happy to adhere to, values that express who we are as a nation and who we want to be. I'm going to give you a couple examples. One's visual and one's just from last night or the night before, Friday night. Broncos versus Bulldogs rugby league match. It's the Anzac weekend... They do the minute silence, they have the Califoc party and all the rest of it going on. It's not a very long um, ceremony, but they have a minute silence, or close to a minute, it's usually much less actually. Um, in that minute silence, a particular supporter, it was Broncos, but that's irrelevant, um, he shouts out something, uh, something disrespectful. Another supporter and others, or one particular supporter, supporter, argues with him, if you didn't see this, and has a fist fight with him because you don't disrespect the Anzac. Uh, and he literally punches him in the head twice. It's awful. Um, and no, no, there's no excuse for that sort of behaviour. And then other people just shout at him and tell him to get out and so on. If you haven't seen it, you can Google it if you want to. It says something about us as Australians and what we value and the shared values we have. You don't disrespect Anzac Day. Back in 2015, this is a lighter example. <laughs> this comes with a little video too. Back in 2015, um, Australian country singer Lee Kernigan, um, not a big fan, um, uh, with, um, with a few other Aussie singers, wrote what turned out to be a chart-topping hit. It, it's, the song was called, it's called The Spirit of the Anzacs. And I think it encapsulates uh, what I've been describing. This something to cling to, this shared history that we long for that, that doesn't change with time or experience. The narrator at the start says, we've lost more than 100,000 lives, but we've gained a legend and a deeper understanding of what it means to be Australian. I think it's fascinating in terms of a cultural um, uh, explanation, that's one way to put it. Here's a section of it. We'll just play the first couple minutes. know this Australian's name and we never will. We do not know his rank or his battalion. He may have been one of those 
He believed the Great War would be an adventure too grand to miss. He may have felt that he would never live down the shame of not going. The unknown soldier honours the memory of all those men and women who laid down their lives for Australia. We've lost more than 100,000 lives, but we've gained a legend and a deeper understanding of what it means to be Australian. country music to go for the next year or so. Um, <laughs> fascinating, I think it's a fascinating song, I, I really do. It says something about this Anzac legend and it says something about what we value I think as well um, and it's a catchy jingle as, uh, at the same time. There is much about our Anzac history which provides connection, this something to cling to for Australians today and I'll say again especially young Australians. As we point to the rocky shores of Anzac Cove on the 25th of April 1915, we see images of young men and women, well, men really, united in purpose and love. Uh, they're united in their love for their nation, their families and each other. They model values of courage and sacrifice, values that are worth upholding, worth honouring, worth pinning our name to. This last week, I've been trying to get my head around what it is about that very first Anzac Day which continues to, to captivate our hearts. That sort of gives us a bit of a tingle in the, in the spine as we listen to songs like that and, and the, that reading. Uh, tomorrow's crowds of Australians who might otherwise consider themselves not religious, they will congregate for times of reflection, prayer and reverence. We, we shouldn't kid ourselves, Anzac Day is deeply religious. In fact, it'd be fair to say that as religion goes down, Anzac goes up. One author said this, it's like uh, the crossover escalators in Myers, the religious one going down, the Anzac one going up. It's clear there's a hunger for, a big sort of word, transcendence. In other words, there's a hunger for ultimate realities in Australia today, even in secular Australia. There is a hunger for that. And Anzac Day, I think, well, for many people, fills that gap nicely. I, I like how this author puts it. It's as if there is a built-in mechanism in human beings to worship something, someone, anything that will promote 
a level of ultimate meaning in a world of myriad penultimate options. See, deep down, we all crave something. We want some ultimate reality as human beings, something to fill that hole in our hearts, to coin a phrase that Christians often use. Anzac Day, for many people, is doing that job. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? As we look to those young men on the shore of Anzac Cove, what we see are individuals who knew what they stood for, they knew who it was they were living for, and therefore who they were willing to die for. We see young men willing to die for a nation to whom they are committed. I can't help but wonder whether this is a vision which we are craving for as Australians today. In the constant battle to work out who we are and what we stand for, we see in the Anzacs a vision that works. We see an expression of something that deep down we know to be true and we want to be true. What's that? Relationships matter. Relationships matter so much, in fact, that it's possible to place one's very own identity inside of them and make it subject to them. See, they matter so much that it's possible to die for them. The spirit of the Anzacs is that relationships matter. That's what it boils down to. I'm going to die for my mate. The spirit of the Anzac is about mateship. Heroism, dying for your mates. Let's just pause for a minute and be clear on something too. In the light of all this sort of talk about the Anzac spirit and so on, um, some Christians may well then ask, well, is it appropriate to do what we do tomorrow? Is it appropriate to honour the Anzacs? Well, I think yes, absolutely, personally. Is it, it is appropriate to pause, to remember and reflect on the bravery and sacrifice of the, of the diggers that, that they made for our nation. It is appropriate to, and right to stand for a minute's silence. But as I, said, as I said too, at times the way Anzac Day is portrayed, it goes well beyond simply remembrance, doesn't it? But it's appropriate to do those things. The, sh the Shrine of um, Remembrance in Melbourne... Uh, and I think if memory serves me correctly, it's in other places as well, has this engraved on its floor. Greater love hath no man. It's actually a quote from a passage that was read to us earlier from John 15 verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now Jesus is speaking to his disciples before his death. This is, this is the scene, this is the Last Supper scene. This is the scene where Judas gets called out. This is the scene where, um, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This is the scene where, he, where Jesus says, I'm going to the cross and you can't come. Uh, it's the scene, it's their last meal together. It's an emotional moving scene and he asks his disciples, what higher moral virtue is there than to give the thing that is most precious to you, that's your life, for those you care about. I think it's an appropriate verse to have on a memorial to describe the sacrifice of the Anzacs. Them giving their lives for their friends. And that's what they were doing. Indeed, there are parallels between the sacrifice of Jesus and the Anzacs. There's also a crucial difference, isn't there? Romans 5.8 tells us this crucial, crucial difference. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, 
Someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus doesn't simply lay down his life for his friends and followers, but for his enemies. It's like a digger giving his life for a Turk. Jesus gave his life for those who ignored him, who rejected him, who spat upon him. People like us, as we are by nature enemies of God. Jesus gave his life for us. This makes the sacrifice of Jesus stand far apart the sacrifice of the diggers. But I think there's another way. Another way that, we can, that Jesus speaks into this Anzac story and I want, to, um, I want to finish with this other way. Uh, perhaps we could say it's a way that Jesus fulfills the Anzac story. And this is where we'll come back to John 5. This, let's, let's think back about this vision of mateship, that the relationships matter. So much so that they define us. That taps into something that was at the heart of Jesus' mission and message of what life is really all about. At the centre of Jesus' mission was a calling of others not only to himself through, uh, and through himself to God the Father, there was that calling, but there was also a calling to others, to love others. It was, an, it was a call to a new humanity, defined not ultimately by myself and my own happiness, that's, that's self-expression, but by relationships of love, by relationships of sacrifice, by relationships of commitment. This is, in essence, what humanity was made for and what disciples of Christ, if you're a Christian person, you're invited into that. It's a vision which is embodied in the person and mission of Christ himself. So with that in mind, let's, let's read again John 5, uh, and we're actually going to pick things up from verse 16. I've got it all up here, if you can see that, otherwise it's in your Bibles. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. There's a lot in that, but let's just pick out this one particular part of this um, passage. Notice that Jesus' identity and his mission is united to the Father. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Is what upset the Pharisees. According to Jesus, nothing that Jesus does, he does by himself. So Jesus offers a profound model of what it looks like to define yourself as a person in relationship to and dependent on another. That's how we can, Jesus models defining ourselves, and he does that in love. Jesus' inability to do anything on his own 
doesn't actually hinder his personhood, who he is as a person, or his mission. In fact, it was at the very heart of it. So he died by the love of the Father. He was raised to life by the love of the Father. And he gives life to those who come to him by the love and will of the Father. And as he does so, he invites us to give our life to him that we too might know the significance of living life in and for each other. You see how Jesus profoundly, I think, redefines our identity. Our identity is very much shaped on love for each other as Christian people. So tomorrow, as we hear uh, the trumpet speak into the silence, and Matt's going to lead us in that. Thank you, Matt. Um, we hear it again tomorrow on Anzac Day. And as we reflect on the sacrifices of the past, as we remember the courageous diggers who uh, knew what it was to live for something bigger than themselves, I wonder whether we might let their vision shape our own in terms of our identity. I wonder in our search for self, whether Australians might be willing to consider a life defined by other rather than ourselves, to consider a life which finds meaning and purpose in love, which we know through the Lord Jesus. I wonder if Australians might be willing to hear the gospel and of course I wonder if you'd be willing to share it with them. And I wonder too whether we might look to the God of love who in Jesus not only offers a model of life, a model of a life of love which works, but who invites us into that very same life. I'm going to pray for us and then I will see if there's any, any questions, not promising I can answer them, uh, but we'll see if there's any questions or comments. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died for us while we were still enemies. Lord Jesus, you gave your life for us. We thank you, God, that your love is demonstrated in that. And Lord, as we think about our, our identity as uh, believers in you, Lord Jesus, as Christians, we pray that that identity is shaped by what we know of you, Lord Jesus that relationships matter and that we respond to your love for us by loving others. And we pray tomorrow, Lord, that you give us an opportunity to share uh, the greatest news of all, uh, the gospel, to those that we might come into contact tomorrow at Anzac Day um, and share with them the, the greatest sacrifice of all, and that is your son, Jesus. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for the opportunity to, to think and to um, uh, consider things in Jesus' name. Amen.